Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. The uh, ship's company will bear in mind we are at sea under the Articles of War. Or perhaps you are unaware that the Articles of War invest in me the authority to order punishment. During the recent heavy weather, I've had the opportunity to watch all of you at work, on deck and aloft. You don't know wood from canvas, and it seems that you don't want to learn. Well, I'll have to give you a lesson. You, 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 step forward. You three are a disgrace to salt water. Ten days and half rations. What's your name? Thomas Burkett, sir. A thief, convicted. Offered a choice, Dartmoor Prison or the King's Navy. Have you been to Dartmoor Prison, Burkett? Yes, sir. It seems that you now prefer the Navy. You may regret that choice, Burkett, before this voyage is over. Your name? Thomas Ellison, sir. First in the service. I've got a wife, a baby. I asked your name, not the history of your misfortunes. Your name? Whatever. Smith. Not you, you idiot. You. William Muspratt, sir. Have you got a wife, Muspratt? Have you got a wife? Two, sir. <laughs> The ship's company will remember that I am your captain, your judge, and your jury. You do your duty, and we may get along. But whatever happens, you'll do your duty. Go for it. Aye, be lad. Thief. Nobody calls me a thief, but the man I steals from. Half right. G'day everybody and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter, the podcast which takes a look at all the best picture winners throughout history and time and all eternity and says, does this film actually matter or not? Uh, we ask of that serious question. Uh, my name is Andrew Pierce. I'm joined by my co-host on the other side of the world in isolation. Uh, Dave, welcome. Thank you very much for joining me again. It feels like an eternity since we've talked about this stuff. Uh, so welcome. Yeah, back. it's been a while. You thought you thought you were rid of us. Not yet. <laughs> we are still here. We just took you know a little vacation. Yeah, you know, we had some other things that were pressing. So, but now now we're back. What is the? Was it happened one night? Was that the last time we talked? Yep. Was that the last? That's okay. right. Yeah, uh, a lot yeah. to live up to after uh, a five star, just about perfect movie. Yeah. Uh, no pressure on the the upcoming episodes, but here we are. Here we are, exactly. And you know, we're we're dealing with another Clark Gable film this time around. Uh, it is something completely different. Uh, lots of laughs in this one, uh, which is Frank Lloyd's Moody Iron Bounty. It is a <laughs> you know starts off with the flogging of a dead man. Um, this is a this is a really impressive film. Um, it is based on sort of based on a true story. Uh, about the HMS Bounty uh, with William Bly, who is the captain, played by Charles Lawton, and they're heading off to go off to Tahiti for about two years to go and get some plants. And 
they enlist a whole bunch of different people. Uh, some people from a local tavern uh, get uh, basically dragged into the naval service by a press gang. Um, I don't know. Did you know about press gangs? Was that a thing? Nope. Nope. <laughs> not, not that I was aware of. Like, I was like, oh, this is, uh, we're doing this. Okay. Uh, and that's actually, you bring that up. That's one of my favorite things about the movie is how it shows the difference kind of in class structure and how people are treated. Uh, it doesn't mean if you're in a higher class, you can't get in trouble. I mean, as our lead character finds out pretty quickly, uh, you can, if you dare to stand up for those dirty, dirty, poor people, uh, then you might get in trouble, but there's definitely a kind of staggered treatment, uh, that you see pretty quickly in this movie. Like, you know, it's, I thought it did a really good job. Also, like it shows one of our lead characters is like, you know, being forced to leave his wife and his child. And it's pretty affecting actually, because you can see, in his performance, like, and of course, you know, we've talked about this before, but there's a different style of acting that was going on at this period of time. Like, this stuff would never fly right now. It is very presentational and kind of playing to the back row. But I found that uh, that subplot especially pretty affecting. Like, what would you do if you had, you know, if you had no choice to either, you know, be in service and miss the, you know, raising your child or run away uh, and force your wife and child to live on the lamb with you. Like, what is your, I mean, you could build a whole movie just about that plot line, but this is about the mutiny. So we got to get there. Is this a movie? I, I feel like there've been different versions of this and it's a very famous story. So did you know anything about it going in? Cause I did, I just knew it was like a mutiny on a ship. That's, that's all I had. I, I knew that there was a Mel Gibson version, there's been a Marlon Brando version, and that's really about it. That's all I knew. And then I knew that there was this version too. And so, um, you know, as with all kinds of films and stories that get remade and remade and remade, um, it's kind of, uh, you, you look at a film like this and you go, well, why is it so important? Why is it such a popular story to get remade? And it comes down to the two main characters, which are William Bly and Fletcher Christian, played by Clark Gable. Um, I want to mention as well, before we get discussing too, this is the last time that a Best Picture winner wins only the Best Picture award. Uh, it is, the you know, alongside the Broadway Melody and Grand Hotel. Um, but unlike Grand Hotel, this was at least nominated for other different categories. Um, but yeah, basically all this one was like, you're going to win Best Picture. That's it. And there were a few really good films nominated that year. But yeah, we'll touch on that later on. Yeah. And another thing to mention, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, which obviously we can trust with, you know, Source with of truth. Uh, yeah, just gospel truth every, every time. Uh, but apparently this was the first time the statuettes were called Oscars um, in this particular year. So this is the start of, you know, these are the Oscars every year. So that's kind of cool. A lot of cool bit of bit of trivia. Uh, I don't know why they decided to call them the Oscars. I'm sure that information is out there, too. But that would have taken like two extra clicks. And I refuse to do any more <laughs> any more research than that. We cannot uh, so afford RSI strain and all that kind of stuff. We can't afford you to get injured. That's right. <laughs> that's right. It's dangerous out there. Got to be careful. For yeah. Sure. So, yeah, this is, uh, I thought it was really impressive and really powerful stuff. I did not expect it to be as dark as it, as it is. Uh, I didn't expect it to lean into it. I expected a lot more fade to black than we got in this movie. I was like, oh, we're just going to like, we're just going to like throw a guy overboard to like wake him up or whatever. Uh, and then we're just going to haul his dead corpse on screen 
up onto the, the deck of the ship. I was like, oh, my God. And this is another example of, like, uh, Charles Lawton just being everywhere at this period of time. Like, not in terms of wins or anything, but he has to be, like, this time's version of, like, Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks, Daniel Day-Lewis. Who are, like, he was in every movie that was, like, critically acclaimed. Like, just – and it's it – was, there was a couple moments where I was kind of like, this guy? Really? This, this short guy? This is the guy who's going to lead the ship. Uh, but I think it actually ends up working um, for the film that he is a little bit diminutive because you I, – I think if you had someone who was like six foot five towering over everyone, then none of this stuff – a lot of this stuff might not have happened. But when you have him looking up to Clark Gable, physically looking up to him, uh, and then you realize what kind of power this tiny little man actually wields, it becomes really scary. Like, and there, there are moments of such happiness, such bliss in this movie, but you just know, like, oh, man, it's coming for you. Like, you you better look out. And I actually didn't know that Clark Gable was in this movie before I turned it on. Um, I knew nothing about this movie, as I said, other than the mutiny on a ship. That's it. So when he showed up, I was like, what? Oh, my God. Like, gigantic movie star enters. And, you know, for those of us who appreciate this kind of thing, it was great. He's topless for most of the movie. Uh, good looking guy. That was great. That was wonderful. The only issue I, I really liked this movie, by the way, I liked it a lot more than I expected to, um, because there's a lot of, you know, kind of nautical movies that I'm just kind of like not into, like, unless you're like really honed in on that, it might not be your thing. But the only thing that really kind of stuck in my craw about this movie is, and you knew it was going to happen, the like kind of benevolent racism, uh, that goes on in this movie. Like, Oh, look at them. They're so simple. Look how happy they are because they don't understand how bad the world really is. I was like, oh, God, here we go. And him, like, you know, falling in love with a woman who doesn't speak. It's very on the nose uh, for this time in American history, really any time in American history. I mean, we do that uh, not even just American history. Like we do that in movies even relatively recently. Like there's a whole plot line in Love Actually with a character falling in love with a woman who can't speak his language. It's like, well, she's hot. Uh, very nice so uh that's good enough for me and also good enough for clark gable yeah well that's a that's a future mrs marlon brando there as well uh she ended up getting married to marlon brando so obviously uh something something worked there she did well Um, for herself she did well yeah yeah i i find uh, let's talk about that part as well and we're kind of jumping around a little bit in plot but basically you know they they go on this journey to tahiti and they arrive at tahiti and it takes a long while for the mutiny the mutiny to actually take place uh which i think is really surprising as well because in the trailer like it spoils the film like it spoils the third we talk about oh you know trailers spoil so much and it's like no 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 back in the day you know, trailers would tell you exactly what you're getting. <laughs> like nothing has changed throughout history. They're telling you, you know, this is what's going to happen. And it shows you the ending of the film in the trailer. And so, um, you know, they get to Tahiti and there is this beautiful moment of just kind of tranquility. And you, you understand the peace and the, the, the calm that they had kind of traveled halfway around the world to, to get to. And even though there is that, really really benevolent and evil nature of Bly who is just so perfectly portrayed by Charles Charles Lawton who as you're saying like this small diminutive guy but he has this face that is just drooping and these huge lips that just kind of 
fill up his whole entire face and it's just this grimace that he has that just makes him look like such an evil, despicable person. And it's because he's driven by discipline and it, the whole mentality of the whole system of the naval system is just driven by discipline. It's discipline, 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 which makes you appreciate that moment of peace and quiet and the moment of uh, they, they encounter the uh, the island chief, Hiti Hiti, played by William Bambridge. And if there is some small praise to be given to Mutiny on the Bounty is that not all, but some of the roles of the Tahitians are actually played by Polynesian people. They are played by people from the region, uh, which is quite nice and unexpected for that era because, you know, as we have uh, grown to become... Uh, a little bit accepting of the time there is a, a profound amount of blackface that goes on during the 1920s and 30s filmography and so I was expecting when they got to Tahiti to see a whole bunch of American actors um, in blackface so you know thankfully that's not the case here because uh, it makes the film a little bit easier to enjoy um, but those moments of quiet yeah again just amplify how evil Bly is and the relationship between him and Christian just enters a fracturing point there. Um, The discipline, let's talk about that because I didn't expect to see, again, as we're talking so much violence, so much, uh, you know, evil dripping from these characters. And yet, uh, as an Australian, there is constant references to Captain Cook in the film, who, you know, if anybody knows history, he's the guy who discovered Australia, in inverted commas. He uh, didn't discover Australia. Australia was already inhabited. There were already people here. But uh, he basically is held up as this hero. And at the beginning of the film, Bly is like, oh, you know, Cook's a really nice guy. And then what I love is that the film whether it does this consciously or not, clearly paints not just Bly, but Cook and all these other uh, captains who travail the world and go and discover countries as absolute pricks, as evil, devilish people. And I, I was so impressed by that and so in awe that it would actually go to the lengths of showing that these were not nice guys. These were not nice people. And the system that it's built upon and the system that is established to uh, explore the world was not a good system at all. Did that surprise you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially for the time. I think, you know, the scariest thing about Bly in this movie is not the terrible, vicious things he does, which are terrible. It's that he's so sure of it, Um, that he's so sure that this is the right way to do things, that there's not... There's not a single cell in his body that thinks, like, maybe um, I shouldn't have this man whipped um, for doing something totally minor, for getting a drink of water when he's thirsty. Um, but to him, it's like you diso- – you, it's the discipline, as you mentioned. You disobeyed an order. You are punished. That is it. There's no room for anything else. And and the movie kind of sets it up very well in the beginning at first. I genuinely – generally don't like – the idea of a movie going like, here is the story we're about to tell, and here's why it's important. Uh, but they basically tell you from the beginning, like, this case is the reason why there are, well, why we do things a different way now, right? Things got so bad that we had to institute actual rules for fair treatment. I was like, oh, okay, they're, they're really going to go for it. And then they really, really did. Um, and for a movie made in the 30s, I was like, this is remarkably progressive, 
I've taken the liberty of telling the surgeon to remain below, sir. He's really not able to report. I'll have no drunken relic holding up the discipline aboard my ship. What's more, Mr. Byam, bring him on deck immediately, or I'll take the liberty of having you seized up and flogged. Mr. Byam doesn't want to disobey your orders. But I beg you, don't make that old man come on deck. He can't even walk. If you don't believe me, go below and see for yourself. Are you presuming to give me orders? Reporting on deck for duty, sir. Mr. Morrison, do your duty. Four dozen, I believe. Four dozen it is, sir. Nothing lost, Mr. Christian. Well, what could you expect, Mr. Bly? The man's dead. I call this ship's company to bear witness. You killed him! Yes. Ship's company dismissed. Wilson, punishment postponed 24 hours. Aye, aye, Do you hear me? Ship's company dismissed! Bear a hand, take him below. Like, this is... They made no... I think a lot of times... Sometimes you go so far left that you circle around... And you go to the right again. Um, and I think sometimes that happens with movies where we've made such an effort to humanize diabolical evil human beings that we're like trying to be nice to them. Like we're, you know, it's like uh, the quote unquote, the good German, right? Uh, in every uh, in every movie about Hitler or about the Nazi party. And like, no, some people are fucking evil. Like you don't have to humanize uh, the people who think they're the master race and the people who are putting people to death for no reason but being Jewish or fill in whatever blank you want to. And this kind of does the opposite. There's not, at least that I recall, there's not a moment in here where you're like, yeah, but I'm sure he's got his problems. He seems like he was probably a decent guy. Like, no, he is because he is so uh, he is such a slave to discipline. He becomes the embodiment of evil. In this and to the level of like, you know, lying about what happened when he gets back, like it's like, no, but I'm the captain. So that's it. That's the end of the that's the end of the discussion. And it's like, wow, but you literally like it looks like in this movie, it seems like you killed half your crew. Like what is <laughs> that seems like bad captaining to me. I don't know a lot about being in the military or being in the British Navy, but I think when you start killing your own men, I feel like you've gone down the wrong path. Like, this is too much discipline. You need to, like, reel it in a little bit. And I think you actually get that a little bit from that tribunal near the end of the movie of, like, people who weren't there going, like, what are you doing? Like, they're still in – you're still thinking they're going to side with him because he is, you know, the man in charge. But you see the looks on their faces kind of like, oh, we have – what is happening here? Like, this is not what we signed up for when we made you a captain. Like, and it – it does a really good, I think, investigation of it would be very easy to be like, well, they're mutinous. They're bad. But like, OK, but why? There's always a reason for a mutiny. So what's going on here? 
Yeah, and there there is that powerful moment at the end when they have done the trial, and he basically is like, he talks to the other captains and is like, you know, hey, this is this is all okay, and one of them just kind of brushes him off. Touching on like that that search for a human moment for him as well, that you would think that it would come when he is pushed off the ship with his fellow crew the people who are faithful to him and they're stuck on this tiny little vessel, uh, you know, trying to seek land and stuff like that. And there's a moment like they're, they're out at sea for days or weeks rather, and just fading away. And there is a moment where men are just kind of collapsing. And one of the, the sailors basically says to him like, Hey, maybe he shouldn't be rowing. Like maybe he should just be kind of laying down and resting. And he's like, nah, <laughs> you got to get up. You know, we're all in this together. And you would think that that would be a moment where he would have a, uh, an awareness of what his actions are doing. He can clearly see that these people are dying, but instead he's like, no, no, you just keep on going. My word is the word that, that works. And, you know, he says something early on, which is they respect one law. It's the law of fear, which is just like... <laughs> Far out, <laughs> far out, man. Just settle down. You know, it's um, it's kind of scary. But I think what is also scary is how how modern this also feels as well, and how applicable it feels to uh, not just to sailing, um, but to the military or to businesses. You know, we look at at different organizations that are driven by men or or run by men, and this kind of behavior just permeates through it. It, it feels almost like it's going to organically erupt out of the, the, the workplace, the environment that people are working. And that I felt the most unsettling part of it because it felt so, so familiar to now. Uh, and I didn't expect that at all. I yeah. think what's, what was most disturbing to me is I'm watching this and I'm thinking like, in a perfect world, this makes sense, right? You have the person at the top making the rules, and if you don't follow the rules, you get punished. Hopefully not harshly enough to fucking kill you, but you get punished, and then you kind of fall in line. I get that piece of it. Uh, but where it all goes wrong, and this is, I think, in some ways, this is human nature. Where it all goes wrong is the person at the top is a human being with faults, and they take things personally. Um and if anything is spurring him on in this movie after discipline is gone, after he is, you know, on a tiny little dinghy in the middle of the ocean, uh, and you're like, okay, he should be dead. Uh, he should definitely die now. Uh, the only thing keeping him alive is spite and holding someone else responsible for his plight, not thinking about like, oh, maybe I could have done things differently. Like there's never a moment like that where he has, you know, the moment of clarity. But instead, he's like, that Christian, I'm going to get him. I'm going to find a way. And he, you know, he does kind of, you know, he stays alive. And I think that is what was so disturbing to me is like, I can see the thought process of why this is a good system. But like all systems, they're inhabited by just idiot humans uh, who make mistakes and, you know, hold grudges. And because there's, you know, there's about 100 moments in this movie where Bly could relent. And just go like, okay, you're right. Let me start treating you better. Here's some extra food. Here's this. Here's that. Let's try and start over. And he refuses because his and, it, and it's not just discipline. It's his pride. 
He can't fathom a world where someone would disobey him and get away with it. Like, it's impossible for him to take that in and still be the man he is and still be the captain. And that is a person who should never have any amount of power. But unfortunately, we live in a world and have lived in a world for centuries now where those are the type of men who usually have the most power. And that and this is a lesson in that is like if you reward people just based on their deeds and not their morality and their humanity, you get blind. That's exactly what you're going to get, and nothing will change And until you start actually punishing people in power when they – these are not just mistakes. Like he knew whipping a man to within an inch of his life and dipping him in the ocean. There's a possibility this man could die, but he didn't care because two things were going to happen. Either this guy would learn his lesson or everybody else would. And that's exactly what happened. And it's like, okay, this is why you don't reward sadists with more and more power, right? Because yeah. that's, and, you get blind. And we say that on a day where, you know, in America right now, you guys are having the trial of the second impeachment of your previous president, you know, who, yep. like, the, the, the line is direct. It's connected completely. <laughs> it's, yep. yeah. Yep. It's horrifying how little has changed in some ways. Like we, instead of rewarding people who got results, now we reward celebrity instead. Like we've changed the line a little bit, but we're still rewarding the wrong people. Like this is still not a good idea at all. Um, And so, yeah, I was surprised at how still effective this movie is to, you know, granted, you know, I think, you know, it's not the same having two two nerds who love movies watching this as it would be the general population, right? Like we have, we have a certain affinity for this. We have an appreciation of it. We have an understanding of the context a little bit more than most. If we watch a lot of these movies, but I was struck in this movie by not what we talked about. It's, you know, how progressive it is, but how modern it feels too. Like even small things like the special effects in this movie like really shockingly hold up like i was waiting to like roll my eyes at some stuff and i was like you know with a couple little tweaks like this is a modern movie you put this in color and you you know do a little bit more of the filming tricks that are available now and like we're there man and uh i think you know all three lead performances are really excellent um there's not a lot to complain about there's, a, you know, every once in a while you're going to watch a movie that's like, oh, this movie is known. And sometimes you're going to get a movie where you're like, but why? Why do people like this? And then sometimes you get Mutiny on the Bounty and you're like, oh, I get it. Like immediately, like within like maybe the first 20 minutes, like once they got on board and started the voyage, I was like, oh, OK, I get it. Like right away. And some of it's star power too. Like just having Clark Gable, like his presence there, I think really helps. Uh, there's also like, we're, we're kind of gloss over some of it. There's some really funny stuff early in this movie too. That whole, that whole bit with the, the lantern uh, kind of swaying back and forth and everyone trying not to be sick. Like as really good kind of goofy comedy. And I think, and you might say like, oh, do you really need that? It's a dramatic film, but you do because you need the bond of three or four men for anything to make sense moving forward. And that's the beginning of it. Yeah. Well, certainly I I have an appreciation for Herbert Munden, who was in Cavalcade, such a horrible film. What? (laughs) Terrible. 
And he's uh, he is the the you know he has a lot of the comedy in this particular film. Like there is a moment where early on he gets told off for uh, throwing some dirty water into the wind and it splashes back in his face. And then we see later <laughs> on another he, great moment, yeah, yeah which yeah. is hilarious. And while he gets kind of reprimanded from it uh, by Bly, there is a there is a comedy to that, and it pays off. It's a, there's a there's a second right. version of that where he throws the water out and he throws the bucket out too and it seems like such a simple thing but in the moment it's like <laughs> even, oh, thank god you put that in there because i needed that right. i needed that laugh okay, yeah. even before that when he like tries to instruct him by like putting his finger in his mouth and testing the wind you yeah. see him testing it and still like he's got nothing man like that would be yeah. me on the ship like i just i uh, you're gonna need to help me out like which way is the wind blowing just tell me where to dump the water please i i'm gonna have trouble here yeah, I love that when they're in the middle of a, a raging storm and he does exactly that as well. And it's like the wind is coming from everywhere and he's like, I can't tell where it is. <laughs> that kind of stuff is really appreciated and unexpected too because we need that kind of levity in those darker moments. I, I want to talk about leadership for a moment as well because, of course, this film is pretty much all about leadership. But there was a speech at the end from... Uh, Roger Byam, who is one of the midshipmen's uh, played by Franchot Tone, Franchot Tone, um, and he is uh, he's the third lead essentially, and he is absolutely brilliant here. And at the closing trial, he gives this whole speech that is about what has gone on. He's defending himself from what has actually taken place on the bounty and uh, the Pandora as well, which is the subsequent ship that uh, Bly manages to, to commandeer. Prisoner in escort, halt! Left, halt! Have you anything to say before the sentence of this court is passed upon you? Lord, much as I desire to live, I'm not afraid to die. Since I first sailed on the bounty over four years ago, I've known how men can be made to suffer worse things than death. Cruelly, beyond duty, beyond necessity. Captain Bly, you've told your story of mutiny on the bounty. How men plotted against you, seized your ship, cast you adrift in an open boat. A great venture in science brought to nothing. Two British ships lost. But there's another story, Captain Bly. Of ten coconuts and two cheeses. The story of a man who robbed his seamen, cursed them, flogged them, not to punish but to break their spirit. A story of greed and tyranny and of anger against it, of what it cost. One man, my lord, would not endure such tyranny. That's why you hounded him. That's why you hate him, hate his friends. And that's why you're beaten. Fletcher Christian still free. But Christian lost too, my lord. God knows he's judged himself more harshly than you could judge him. I say to his father, he was my friend. No finer man ever lived. I don't try to justify his crime, his mutiny, but I condemn the tyranny that drove him to it. I don't speak here for myself alone, nor for these men you've condemned. I speak in their names, in Fletcher Christian's name, for all men at sea. These men don't ask for comfort, they don't ask for safety. If they could speak to you, they'd say, let us choose to do our duty willingly, not the choice of a slave, but the choice of free Englishmen. They ask only the freedom that England expects for every man. Oh, if one man among you believed that, one man, 
He could command the fleets of England. He could sweep the seas for England. If he called his men to their duty, not by flaying their backs, but by lifting their hearts. Their... That's all. Roger, by a midshipman. Having heard the evidence produced in support of the charges against you and having heard your own defense, the sentence of this court is that you shall suffer death by hanging on board such of His Majesty's ships of war and at such time as the commissioners for executing the office of Lord High Admiral of Great Britain and Ireland shall direct. Britain escort in the file. Left, turn, quick, turn. I pronounce this court dissolved. The Lord, may I congratulate the court? Captain Bly, in my opinion, your open boat voyage was the most remarkable conduct of navigation in the history of the sea. I must admire your seamanship and courage, but... I found that really, really powerful, and it's exactly the kind of, uh, it's the, the atypical closing speech that comes with these kinds of films, the, the, the triumphant speech that tells everybody what the theme is of the film, but it works so perfectly, and there's a reason why this kind of stuff is imitated time and time again, because it wraps up the narrative so completely, and yet it really, really shows how terrible Bly is, because... No matter what Byam says, uh, the men that he is kind of defending are still going to get hung. And that guy you're talking about before who didn't even get to really spend much time with his kid, we spent maybe five minutes with his kid, uh, gets hung. And that is just such a... It's a damning aspect. And I expected to see them hanging. Uh, Unfortunately enough, we don't get to see them hanging because we do grow to care about these people, so I don't want to see them die. But just knowing that they did die as well, um, even though like there is historical inaccuracies and stuff like that, uh, you know, which is kind of um, part of the course for Best Picture winners. We look throughout history and stuff. You know, Braveheart is so <laughs> they've got characters who weren't even in the same timeline uh, taking place in that film. Um, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that there is a playing with uh, the the reality or, or the truth because what we're shown echoes it so perfectly. How was your, what was your reaction with that speech? So it's tough because as you mentioned, this is something that has been copied a million times. So there's, there's moments in there where I'm like, I've heard this before, but again, context matters. You have to put yourself here. And I think it is, um, it's, it's strangely dark because not only do these men die, but as I mentioned before, this movie has a lot to say about class and the advantages um, of being in a certain class. In this case, an officer class as opposed to just a worker on the ship. And most of the officers are okay by the end of this movie. You know, um, Clark Gable's character ends up, you know, on some other island uh, with his woman and, you know, living the simple, beautiful life. Um, and... You know, uh, people are pardoned by the king, 
as long as they have some level of power. But everyone who was most affected by everything that Bly did is, I mean, let's call it what it is, is murdered by the state for doing nothing wrong except, like, you know, defending their own well-being, their own life. If you just, like, read on Wikipedia about this movie, it feels like a happy ending. It's directly against what the beginning of the movie sets up, right? This idea of, like, this was so terrible that we had to change how everything works. So pay attention. And I think the plight of the, you know, essentially the working man in this or the criminals, they're the ones that get the brunt of all the negativity. Like, yes, the officers went through went through hell, you know, to the point of they were afraid for their lives, but they weren't the ones being dunked in the ocean. They, in general, weren't the ones being whipped at every occasion. And the only times the officers were whipped is when they defended the lower ranking men. Um, so I think it's, you know, that speech about leadership is really powerful because it's the only voice that those dead men get. Um, and that and that is important to like the way this movie wraps up, uh, because if that speech isn't there, then it's just like you probably don't even really think about those guys. Like, oh, well, they died, but whatever. They're not given a chance to actually stand there and, and, and stand up for themselves, which, again, echoes that that class inequality that that exists uh, and it still exists and we look at it you know in world war one and world war two and things like that continuing on and you know desertion and the, the treatment that people get for fleeing and it's like well you gotta die <laughs> you gotta die and it's it's not like right 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 it takes a very very long time throughout history to recognize that maybe we should talk to these people and find out why they decided to nick off Maybe we should find out and, you know. Right. No, Andrew, they're just weak-willed. Yeah, have set to an example. Them. That's the only way to handle this. And I'm always happy when we when we watch an older movie and it's like, oh, yeah, this was actually really good. It's not, you know, some some shitty Western that, that, uh, that Andrew <laughs> likes, but like an actual, an actual good movie. Uh, and I was like, um, I watched a bunch of the other... Uh, nominees and this is kind of a stacked year actually like there's a lot of movies that probably people haven't heard of um but are really really good like ruggles of red gap was really good it's a really funny comedy that weirdly holds up um you know there's lay miz and a midsummer night's dream those are kind of classics for a reason um the lives of a bengal lancer although you know pretty pretty racist because anytime you have in the 1930s a bunch of white people in india it's gonna get a little iffy um for sure um but a good kind of adventure story also a good adventure story captain blood uh it's kind of a swashbuckling adventure uh, which is fun to see like a crowd pleaser get nominated for an oscar like this is very much a like for everybody uh type of movie um and then i did not watch the broadway melody because i'm done with broadway melodies. really I'm done with it i can't you didn't want to see the remake of the i'm over it <laughs> i do not i'm good uh but maybe maybe the best movie on here it's a movie that is beloved by uh martin scorsese uh so obviously it's perfect uh is the informer um so that is another i mean this was like you know there was like 10 movies or whatever nominated and like there's like at least five of them that I'm like, wow, that was twelve really nominees. good, even without the context at the time. Well, Jesus, it's just like that's a lot. Screw it. Um, but yeah, lots of you want a nomination, you get one. Yeah, everybody gets nominated. That's right. That's right. 
Check under your seats. You have a Best Picture nomination. Everybody wins. Yeah. And that that's the first time John Ford was um, nominated, wasn't it, as well? Like, he's he becomes an Oscar perennial later on. Um, so, yeah, I must watch that. Yeah. But this is pretty... It's pretty early in his uh, talky career. He had done a couple like silent movies before this. And, and there are moments in the informer that you can tell um, that he did silent movies before. There's like some sped up action techniques that feel very, you know, Chaplin-esque, Keaton-esque, like that kind of thing. And it's, it's weirdly kind of out of place in a movie that's very much a drama. Um, but once you kind of get past those little idiosyncratic things, Man, what a what a good movie! I think it's the only movie though on the list I'd probably put above Meet Me on the Bounty, but it'd be close. I'm I'm having trouble like which one would I vote for because Meet Me on the Bounty was really really good. I had a great yeah, time. Yeah, so watching it. I guess that answers the question of does this film still matter? Uh, for me, it certainly does. No, it's, <laughs> it's not, terrible. No, definitely. <laughs> yeah, kidding. Yeah, yes, this matter. I mean, it matters for a lot of reasons. I think any movie that achieves greatness and um is effective you know damn near 100 years later that matters right uh but also in terms of um you know all the stuff you talked about with leadership um and the ideas of discipline and how we how we interact in a world that is beyond our control like this stuff all really is applicable now um and also just in terms of like in the beginning of the movie a naval adventure movie like i think this really works as far as like filmmaking techniques too so yeah Yeah, it definitely i I agree and it's it's one of those kinds of films as we go through these early best picture winners and nominees as well it's again another one of those kinds of films where i'm like like Grand Hotel, where I'm like, why are we not talking about this film more? Why are we not, you know, talking about Mutiny on the Bounty? And I know there's been different versions and stuff, but I'm like, this is really good. This is a really impressive film. And I think that more people should seek it out. Uh, it is it is a great time. Really, really great time. Uh, so, yeah, that's Mutiny on the Bounty. Um, one of the films that was also nominated for Best Picture, Top Hat, is a film that we're going to do a, a separate discussion on uh, because it's a personal favorite of mine and um, there's reasons why we're going to discuss it, which we'll discuss in the next episode. Yeah, yeah very, I very purposely didn't mention that because <laughs> I knew we were going to talk about yep. it at length. I wasn't going to ruin anything by bringing up Top Hat, but another... Another movie, uh, whether it's good or not, we'll talk about uh, next episode. Right, so... Uh, it definitely was a nominated film, so you got to tune in for that. Uh, tune in, uh, sign up on your podcast, list and list yourself to listen to this show awards. Yeah, subscribe. subscribe. That's listen. a word. Do it. It list <laughs> like that. I need a drum in the background for this. Um, yeah, so awards don't matter on all the podcast platforms. Uh, you can follow us at awards don't matter pod. I think it is awards don't pod or whatever it is. Uh, look, we're on Twitter. Have a look at what's no matter. We're on Twitter. There is a Facebook page that happens too. Um, Dave, where can people find you, and what what can they also listen to you on? Because you did an episode of the Informer on uh, some show. It's the only reason I didn't ask uh, to do that particular show. <laughs> that shows <laughs> that film. That shows dying anyway. Um, I have like a thousand podcasts because I just can't make up my mind. But you can find me on Twitter at darn that Dave um, and. If you want to look it up, it's still available now. We did on 
um, a podcast directed by. We did a whole month on John Ford, and one of the movies was The Informer. Um, and I've just started a new podcast with that same co-host, with Mike. But we're finished. We're finished with uh, a podcast directed by, and now we're going to be doing a show called Off Screen Death, um, which is uh, basically me uh, making people watch great movies from like best of lists, like the movies you're supposed Mac to see before you yeah. die. And then Mike countering. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Uh, and Mike countering with like, Oh, well here's, here's a movie that's like not on any of those lists, but like, you know, you could get pretty easily. It's going to be entertaining. So we try to have both sides, like the pompous cinephile that is me and the man of the people that is Mike. So you can follow uh, us on Twitter at off screen death. And of course, subscribe on all of your podcast uh, podcast players, whatever your preference is. So be sure to check us out there. Um, yeah, that's that's it, I think. And on Darn That Day, if you can see everything that I put out, there's a lot, I'm sorry, ahead of time. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is a pleasure to present this award to you for producing the best picture of 1935, Mutiny on the Bounty. <laughs> Mr. Capra, it is obvious but nevertheless true for me to say that I'm happy that Mutiny on the Bounty won this award. And the several thousand men and women who played in this picture, I'm sure, will share this happiness with me. Most of all, I know that Frank Lloyd, the great director of this picture, Albert Lewin, my associate, the great writers, Talbot Jennings, Terry Wilson, Jules Fertman, and those magnificent actors, Charles Lawton, Clark Gable, and Francia Tone. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details.